quitting is not an option. It is not an option. If you quit one thing now, you will negotiate with your mind and your body at some point in time later on to quit. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Handbook, your guide to life, leadership, and health. I am your host, Gene Reed, and that quote you just heard was our guest for episode number 13, Mr. Anthony Smith, also known as Ranger Smitty. Now, as with most of our guests, he wears several different hats. He's a military veteran, most notably a graduate of Army Ranger School. He's a police officer, triathlete, ultramarathon runner, and last but not least, just an all-around motivator. I think what's really special about this episode is how our guest really brought some of his personal life events and explains them and molds them in a way that most of the listeners will be able to relate to their own lives, because that's definitely what happened to me when I was sitting right across from him during our discussion. So I hope everyone enjoys this. As usual, we kind of run the gamut on topics, and I think in the end, this this episode turned out really well. So as always, if you learn something, share something. Thank you. All right, Vince, how we looking? All set. Cool. Sweet. Uh, listen, tell me about this race you got coming up. Hey, let me tell you, brother. So June 13th, we're going to be doing a half Ironman, Cambridge, Maryland. Half Ironman consistent of 1.2 miles on the swim. And we've got a 56-mile bike ride, which is going to then turn into a 13.1-mile run. That is all right after another. You know, nonstop, you're rolling, you're rocking and rolling, and that's what you train for. Right. Um, you're tying together three disciplines in one. A lot of people will say, well, you know, I'm not too strong with swimming, but I'm good at biking. I'm good at running. So you put the totality of everything together, and then you have a race. You're mm-hmm. rocking and rolling that yeah. fast. So that's a good thing there. Now, is this an official Ironman event? Or? So this one's going to be official. Yeah. This is going to be the official uh, Ironman, half Ironman down at Cambridge. Is it, this that's is Eagle Man, right? Three, the Eagle Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So right. it's going to be the Eagle Man right down there in Cambridge. And that's also where they hold the full Ironman, which will be later on. Um, but this is going to be official. This, you know, start to finish, timing, everything. And, you know, June 13th. I can't wait. We've been waiting a whole year for this. Did I, I think I told you I did Eagle Man 2015, 2016. Very hot. Oh yeah. I oh, yeah. it's always that's what it's known me. for, man. I definitely had some heat exhaustion for for sure. Uh just, you know, improper nutrition and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, they told me they had a uh, jellyfish in the chop tank. Jellyfish. Yeah. You know it. Yes. So, yeah. you know, I'm going to have a full wetsuit on, but you know, if I don't <laughs> yeah. hopefully I don't get stung. For you personally, like what is your what do you enjoy the most with the triathlon event-wise? Event-wise, for a priority of events, I would have to say my first event that I enjoy the most is the running. Mm. Second is going to be the biking. Third is going to be the swimming. But what I like to do and to internalize in my own mind is even though my first event is running, second event is biking, third event is swimming. When I'm training, I got to turn it all the way around. Right. So I want my worst event to be the one that I'm training for the most mm-hmm. so that that way, you know what I mean? There isn't no deficiencies. If there's deficiencies, I'm working on them to make sure that we're doing more today than we did the day before. Yeah. So that way, when game time comes on June 13th, I'm not sitting back saying, man, I wish I would have swam just a little bit longer mm-hmm. because at that point we're done. Yeah. So I was talking to a couple of my coworkers and there's a common theme that's come up, right? Okay. 
So a lot of the guys in our department, they love the podcast. Every time I tell them, hey, I got this guy coming on, the, oh, yeah. the first question is oh, yeah. always like, well, why, why this guy? Yeah. And so I always awesome. actually struggle to kind of come up with a reason, but I actually was driving in today, uh, listen to some David Goggins motivational thing, but what I am attracted to and you fit the mold of is this definition of high performer. Okay. So when I was talking to these guys, I was like, I'm attracted to people who not only excel in their personal lives, but excel so much that they have all this energy that they start giving out to other people. Absolutely. Right? And that's where you fall into. Absolutely. So my question for you is, I definitely consider you a high performer. Have you always been a, you know, somebody that is motivational and like, did you excel in athletics like all the time academically? Like take me back to kind of the beginning where, okay. where did this all come from? So as far as excelling at performance or, you know, athletics or, you know, inspiring others, I always tried to be the hardest worker in the room. So through high school, through college, ended up scoring over a thousand points in basketball, getting my jersey retired through college. That was a good feat for me. I thought, you know what, this was wonderful, but I'm not on anybody's NBA team. Mm-hmm. But that's okay because in my mind, I was doing good. In my mind, I thought that I was the best. But the reality is, even though I scored my thousand points, why can't I get the rest of the team involved? What do I have to do to show them that they can do better? So that's in the college time. College time, multiple practices over and over, in and out, getting guys to stay longer, making sure they're there first, and then they're leaving. Because if they see that mentality, if they see, hey, he's still doing it, why can't I? They see that he's human and he's doing the same thing that I'm doing, why can't I be better? And then therefore, we create the best team. We create, you know, better guys, better players, better coaches, everything in that aspect. Moving forward, we start in the military. And I mean, there's a lot of things we can touch on with the military. But now you're potentially dealing with guys that you are going to go to war with. You're potentially dealing with guys where their family members are looking at you to bring them home in the event when they're away from home. So how do you do that? You have to maintain who you are, that self-discipline, that self-motivation and inspiration. You have to inspire these guys to continue to want to do more. So even if they say, man, today isn't my day. No, today is exactly your day mm-hmm. just because you said it wasn't. Your day. Yeah, right. You know, because there's always a guy like me or a person like me that's going to motivate you. Yeah. There's a difference between confidence and cocky. You can never be cocky. You always have to be confident. You mm-hmm. show somebody that you're confident at what you're doing. Yeah. Even when you make a mistake, even when that game or that training didn't turn out the way that it was, mm-hmm. that it should have, you correct that. You correct it so that you can perfect it. Um, so then when we talk about, again, that high drive for doing, you know, athletics or doing competition or doing work related things, the drive was always there, but the inspiration to inspire others just wasn't, Mm. it just wasn't. And as I say, there was a difference between cocky and confident. There was a time where I tried out for special forces assessment and selection. I needed to be a green beret. I knew I wanted to be a green beret, did everything I can during this training this program is called Two Weeks in Hell. They actually did a docu-series on it. Um, it's been changed uh, since. But during this training, okay, I said, hey, you know what? PT test, I need to do push-ups, sit-ups, run a five-mile run in under 40 minutes. I need to do a 12-mile ruck march. Just a list of things that I knew that I had to do. So I trained to do those list of things, but I never trained to help anybody else out while doing those things. Mm. I thought they wanted the best of the best. 
I thought they wanted somebody that can complete every obstacle that was ahead of them. They did want that. But the part that I failed to realize is they wanted a team player. Needless to say, I ended up getting dropped from it. You know, no special forces, no Green Beret. It yeah. just didn't happen for me. Is there an interview process with that? There's an interview process. There's yeah. an interview process with it. Um, for my interview process, it started once I got out of jump school. I actually met a uh, master sergeant at E8 who came down, and he was like, he's looking for some good guys to go through their, their Green Beret training. Um, I had all the proper skills for it. I had all the proper uh, grades and, you know, um, stats for it, and actually went out there. Your, your main interview process for that, it isn't a written. It isn't articulated. It is straight grits to grind as far as doing your PT session. Right. Are you prepared? That's your interview process. Very similar to a police process. Mm-hmm. You know, once you get that initial background, you got to do a PT test before we even go any further. Then you got to do a written exam. So that PT test was that entrance for me. But during the two weeks of hell was that team building week that ended up coming. Um, and I just wasn't a team player at that time. So how did they measure that? Like what kind of things were they putting you through to measure your ability to be a team player? So the things that they measure you through from what I went through was more so your ability to work together with your guys. When you're out there at Camp McCall, you have to work together with your guys. Um, and they actually do a team building week or a team building competition where you have to work with these guys. At the end of it, they do peer evaluations. Mm. So that's going to answer the question of your measurability of what you were doing. So let's just say, for example, me and you were working together. We're working together for two weeks, nonstop. We're both getting through everything. But at the end of the day, they say, Gene, how was Smitty? And you say, you know what? He never wanted to help me with anything. Yeah. He always wanted to be first. He always wanted to make sure he ate first. He always wanted to make sure he went to sleep first. He always wanted to make sure that, you know, it had to be him, 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 him. But there was never any we in the factor of that. Right. So your peer evaluation to me isn't going to reflect that same person who I'm pretending to be. Yeah. Because at that point in time, all I am is I'm pretending to be a team player when I'm really not. That was my wake up call. I've had discussions with people, even within our own promotional process within our department, adding in peer reviews. Because there's two sides. There's two sides of that, right? You could have people who just want to be vindictive and give somebody a bad review, Absolutely. but it's coming back on them as well. Absolutely. You know what I mean? So it benefits them to actually give an honest review as long as everybody takes part in that. That's great. I didn't I didn't know that about that process. Correct. So I, I'll never forget, um, you know, the captain and, and a couple of members, they called me into the office. You know, I went in, uh, you know, PFC Smith at that at that point in time, you know, I, I'm just going in there, um, just ready to rock and roll. I'm, I'm thinking, hey, this is my time. They're getting ready to tell me that I made it. I made it. You're going to be a Green Beret. You're going into the 18 X-ray program. And you know that captain looked at me as I stood there at attention, and he said, "You are exactly." And I said, "Here we go, drum roll." I'm like, "Here we go." <laughs> he said, "You are exactly what we don't want." Wow crushed me did you just go your body probably went cold right there i was numb Mm -hmm. i couldn't understand why after all the hard effort work and everything that i did for this period of time that they didn't want me and that's my problem that was the problem i still had this barrier up that i was the best why didn't you want me and i still had it messed up And that is exactly why they didn't want me, because I was not a team player. 
It was just all about me. Mm-hmm. And therefore, from that point in time, I ended up getting my paperwork. I mean, they literally had me on a plane that night from North Bra- from Fort Bragg, North Carolina, all the way down to Fort Polk, Louisiana. I was gone. Wow. <laughs> you know, so and that was one of those things where, hey, we don't need you. So just to see how somebody can make a movement to move you is powerful, but it's also an eye opener. And from that moment on, I knew that the I, my's had to be we's. Everything had to turn around and be straight teamwork. So even though I may have said during high school and college and stuff like that, we worked together as a team, but that's just one thing. That's mm-hmm. just on the basketball court. We're talking about life in general outside the court. Yeah. We're talking about everything going home at night. That's when I had to be transformed from a person who was all about himself to a person who was all about others and would do anything for others. And that is when I became that person who was more driven, more inspired to want to inspire others. How old were you at this time? I think at this time I might have been mid-20s around this time frame. Okay. might have been mid-20s. Pretty so, young, but very valuable life lesson. Yeah, pretty young. And, and one of the things is, though, is – some of these military guys were coming in at 17, 18 years old. Right. So although I was young for the military sector, I was kind of, you know, kind of old going, getting in there. Um, but I should have had a different mindset, you know. Um, but I needed that wake-up call. Yeah. I needed to be dropped from what was known to be an elite organization, an elite special forces. Still is, array, arguably, You yeah. know, I, I need to be – you know, I, for, from that, to be dropped from that, turned around and was a wake-up call to say, never again, never again. If I am in this military and if I'm going to take one step forward every day of my life, it's going to be to inspire others to be better than they were the day before. So what happened from that point on? Like, how much longer were you in the military? Okay, so from that, but that point on, I was probably in the military for roughly three years. Okay. Now, when I went to Fort Polk, Louisiana— you go down there and it's like you arrive to your unit. You let them know, you know, I'm reporting his order. I think at that time I might have went up to E4 specialist. You know, I report to the commander. Hey, you know, I'm here reporting his order. And they're like, well, where did you come from? And it's like that scarlet letter you're saying yeah. to yourself. You know, I came from special forces assessment and selection. Well, why are you here? <laughs> and it's like, I got dropped. Well, why'd you get dropped? So one question turned into another question, which turned into another question. And every single time that I answered another question, I would just droop down a little bit lower, a little Mm -hmm. bit lower, a little bit lower. Why? Because I knew that that wasn't me. I knew that my mentality has changed now, but I needed to show that commander the same thing. And that's what I did day in, day out, showed the commander, showed my unit, showed everybody that I wasn't the same person and I'm ready for a second chance. I'm ready for another opportunity to do something that would be considered elite, considered to be the best of the best, but as a team player. And therefore, I got introduced to what was known as one of the most difficult schools in the military, which was Ranger School. Mm -hmm. Um, I got afforded the opportunity that I can go to Ranger School. um, And, you know, that's when things started to change. That's when things started to change because that's one of the elite leadership schools. And leadership comes back to what we mentioned earlier on with the handbook it's mm-hmm. leadership if this is a leadership school um uh, uh where you know you're using utilizing small unit tactics you're doing airborne operations jumping out of planes mountain climbing i mean things that you would never do and if i can do it in this school and make it through this school i want in and i want to show that i can do it 
Fast forwarding, go through ranger school, graduate, receive the ranger tab, come back to my actual unit and start training guys, start mm. training guys. You know, I was like a sponge, absorb everything that I could and release that information right back to my unit. Is that what a lot of guys do? They go to range school, graduate, uh, you know, they're in that leadership position. Is that what a lot of those guys do is Absolutely. then train others? Absolutely. It's almost like a, a train a trainer. Okay. You know, you go, if we can send one of the top tier guys to a school and as long as they can get through it, sniper school, yeah. you know, ranger school, sapper school, something like that, they can come back, train the unit, even though they may not have been certified for that, that inspiring young um, soldier can say, you know what? I want to go to ranger school. Yeah. And they already kind of have an idea of what to do because they've been trained by somebody who's certified through that ranger school. With ranger school, everybody talks about BUDS and everybody knows about Navy SEALs and all that kind of stuff. It seems to be a lot of the drops from Navy SEALs are their own, they're quitting, essentially. Mm -hmm. Is mm -hmm. it similar in ranger school or is ranger school more, I'm sure the people who quit, but are there more strenuous qualifications where you either pass or you don't and you're out? So... You know, just to kind of give you a snapshot on it, Gene, um, so we do what was called pre-ranger okay. at the unit. And so what pre-ranger consisted of, it consisted of us doing combat water survival swimming because there's a swim test in ranger school. I didn't know that. So a lot of people, hey, on land, they're great. You know, in the air, they're great. <laughs> but you put them in the water and then it's just like, I don't know about this. It's and a it's great equalizer. Things, it's a great <laughs> equalizer. And we always talk about, like we mentioned with David Goggins, you know, yeah. he was talking about water, just wasn't his friend. So the only way to get better in the, in the water was to become one with the water. Yep. Similar to me, I kind of was just like, I didn't have a problem with water. You know, my parents did a good job, made sure I had swim lessons when I was younger, um, you know, and I got more focused with the water because we actually one of my little cousins, she ended up drowning in a pool um, early on back back in my hometown in New Jersey. Um, and even since then, my water confidence started going through the roof. What can I do to be better? So there's a water survival school uh, that was like a pre-ranger so that you could prepare for the water. Right. Um, we would get in full uniform and would just go in there and tread water for 25, 30 minutes. They would throw in fake rifles to hold for us to hold up while you're treading anything they can put you through. Because if you couldn't do that, why send you to ranger school mm -hmm. if you knew you were going to fail the swim portion? Yeah. Um, getting out there, uh, as I say, with that. It's very strenuous. I want to say my class, again, this was a good time ago. I want to say my class might have been almost 300 people. Okay. Um, that's what we started with. I would like to say when we graduated, it might have been about 30. Wow. Um, so that was the rate of which people dropped out, quit, got injured. Um, when you go into the process, it's always cool to start something. Sure. It's always cool. It's always good to start something. So if I was to say, Gene, all you got to do is a set amount of push-ups, set amount of sit-ups, Run five miles, you would say, All right, that's fine. Let's roger go to that. Let's hey, go. Roger that. Let's rock and roll. You know, it's not a problem. And then we give you, you know, uh, maybe a 40, 50 pound rock and tell you to go for 12 miles. Not a problem. You know, you can go ahead and you can do that too. It's when they start putting you in the woods and start making you do the land navigation. It's when you never really knew you had a fear of heights and they told you to mountain climb and start rappelling down a side of a mountain. Where you really start saying, I'm just not good enough to do this, or I just don't want to do this. Mm -hmm. And that's when guys will start dropping out. They also do a thing called, called patrols. So, you know, you might be that uh, squad leader or that platoon sergeant for that patrol where you have to lead 20, 30 guys to complete a mission. 
And if you don't complete the mission, you're now a no-go. You'll get a second shot later on, but you get a couple of no-goes. Then you're a no-go and you're either going to have to recycle the course or you're yeah. out. Um, injuries do happen. You yeah. know, we would, we would saddle up. We'll get into a, um, a C-130 Air Force when we're getting ready to jump from Alabama down into Florida. Um, and next thing you know, you, you jump out the plane and a guy might break his leg. Mm. You know, um, he's done. Yeah. It, it's simple. We, we've seen those injuries. I've been injured before uh, jumping out of a plane, but this is all about that retention rate right there. This is how that can drop so dramatically. Yeah. And you can only imagine going through something for a couple of weeks. And at the end of it, they say you are a no-go and you have to recycle that phase again. It's enough to break your soul. It's yeah. enough for you to say, you know what? I got my wife and kids at home. I got my mom home, dad home. I, I, I don't miss too much. I'm going to go ahead and go. You start negotiating with yourself. Why didn't you quit? So one of the reasons that I didn't quit was because quitting and failure was not an option. Although I didn't quit special forces assessment and selection, I got dropped. Mm. So I took that as a failure. I took that as quitting. I took that as I set out to do something and I didn't finish the mission. Yeah. So I knew that going through this, that was not going to happen again. You know, crawl, walk, run. We were going to get it done. Injured, I was going to come back. No matter what, it was going to happen. So my mentality would not let me quit. When I didn't understand something, Gene, I was asking questions. Sometimes we know as adults and as teenagers and younger kids, if you don't know the answer to something, sometimes you figure if you just stay quiet, maybe you won't never have to answer to something. Right. But at the end of the day, you may get through that way. But did you ever understand it? So you got through. You might have got that promotion. You might have got on that team. You might have graduated from that school. You might have did everything you did, but you really didn't know. You really didn't understand what you were doing. Now you're going to be somebody's leader. And you didn't even understand what you were doing. And you know what's funny about that? You know that. And you know it. That the person knows that inside. You know it. They might lie to themselves and eventually you believe it, it, but you know it. Wouldn't you know it be it. better to just take the other route just take the other and route. just understand it and then be really confident and actually have confidence? Hey, the hard road over the easy road. You know, um, and and I would honestly say, like you said, you were freezing back to the question, why didn't I quit? Quitting is not an option. It is not an option. If you quit one thing now, you will negotiate with your mind and your body at some point in time later on to quit. I'll give you the triathlons, for example. Maybe I'm swimming and I'm just like, man, I'm just so tired. Wouldn't nobody know if I just stopped right now? Mm -hmm. I'm not even home. Wouldn't nobody know? I can just tell them, you know, it just didn't work out for me or I got injured or something like that. And I actually quit. But wouldn't nobody know? Yeah. You see what I'm saying? But that intestinal fortitude, that integrity, doing the right thing when no one is looking is what I'm holding on to. So my mentality is a never quit mentality. And it's funny that we talk about that. I did the Marine Corps Marathon. Um few years back and i mean you, you know not to jump around on everything but a few years back miserable miserable rain right marine corps marathon supposed to be a good event sure You're ready to go everybody's out there and i'll never forget i heard a runner he had said you know what i'm about ready to go home mm. i'm about ready to go home i'll go home just stop right now and wouldn't nobody ever know you know, I took to tell him anything. And when I heard that guy say that, I thought to myself, he's negotiating with his mind and his body. Mm -hmm. He sees this rain and he doesn't want to put his body 
through everything. But what do we know about law enforcement, military, and other organizations? If it's not raining, we're not training. Yeah. So therefore, that rain isn't stopping us from doing what we have to do. I ended up getting a blister in my foot by mile four. Mm. This is a full marathon, 26.2 miles to go. On mile four, I have a blister (laughs) on my foot. And I'm saying to myself, I got 22 miles left, and I got this blister on my foot. I'm sitting in the med tent, and the doctor came over, and he specifically said, you know, this is going to be pretty bad if you continue on. We can go ahead and stop, and you can get a DNF. Did not finish. Back to what you said. Why not quit? Quitting is not an option. Mm-hmm. I'd rather come out here and and something is majorly wrong with my foot. Yep. I'd rather crawl across that finish line and finish. I'd rather walk across that finish line and finish other than receive a DNF and did not finish. Yeah. So quitting's not an option. You know, you brought up something and you and I are very similar and I'll take it from another angle, but, and th- I'm not going to tell you this to be like braggadocious mm-hmm. or anything like that, but there are times when, I just wake up in the morning. I'll go to a local high school track and run a marathon. I'll just do 26 miles. Mm-hmm. I don't need anybody to know it. Yep. I just do it for myself because I've learned over time it's very important for me to just be in very difficult situations. Dude, sometimes I get emotional out there. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like there's Absolutely. times when I'm by myself. We, I, I got a group of guys to do a mile of lunges with me not too long mm-hmm. ago. Mm-hmm. That's something I do. If I haven't felt that you know, driving thing or if something's going on, I'm like, yo, I got to go do something. Got to do something. Mild lunges it, by yourself is a great way to gotta get do some deep thinking going on and stuff like that. But yeah. So at what point did this triathlon world come into play? Was this before or after policing? Okay. So, you know, fast forwarding, ranger school, got out the military, ended up wanting to get into law enforcement. Yeah. And um, just a natural progression there or just, was there something that? Well, nat- natural progression. And the physical fitness aspect was always there. You know, I said, hey, high metabolism. I just couldn't let the military go. Yeah. You know, as I seen C-130s flying in the air and, and C-17s flying in the air, I always look up and I say, man, I used to jump at them because I just can't <laughs> let it go. Sure. <laughs> so, but the reality is my physical fitness was lacking. My I, fi- I find that hard to, that's, yeah. that's hard for me yeah. to believe with you. <laughs> <laughs> My physical fitness was lacking, and I'll tell you why. You know, you work a 12-hour shift, you know, you're on patrol, and then that Wawa sitting right there. Oh, yeah. Yes. And, and you're like, man, let me get a pretzel that's soft. Let me get a couple of energy drinks. And Wawa sells the energy drinks, too, for $3. So you, you have can't to get buy two. <laughs> you have to get two. And listen, you're going to lose money if you don't. <laughs> <laughs> and listen to this, brother. We're on two, two totally sides of, of the county right there, and it's just like – yep. You got to get two. You can't even buy two and give one to the other friend of yours. You got to have two. So late night starts rolling in two, three o'clock in the morning. You drink one. And before you know it, you drink another. But what you failed to realize is there was 300 milligrams of caffeine in the one. Mm -hmm. And oh, let's not even talk about the amount of sugar. And so you just turned around and drank the other one. And you were good. Went home, went to sleep. And guess what? The next day. After you woke up, you put your uniform on, you put your gear on, and you did it all over again. Same exact thing. So now, some of the things that you do tend to become what we know as a habit, routine. Every day, this is what I do. I'm going to go to Wawa. I'm going to get my energy drinks. I'm going to get my pretzel. This is what I'm going to do, and it becomes a habit, routine. Again, habit, routine. 
So that's when I say that that physical fitness started to lack. Still there, still push-ups, sit-ups, runs, different sure. things in that aspect. Um, but it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. And, you know, I just started looking on YouTube at motivational stuff, different podcasts and stuff like this. And I started hearing people talk about running marathons all the time. Mm. And I said, well, you know, I've ran a marathon before. Yeah. That's not bad. I've ran one. But these people were running marathons every other day, mm-hmm. some of them every day, yep. half marathons every day. I started going into YouTube and I would see a guy say, I ran five miles every day for a whole month. And I'm just like, how are they doing this? Because it used to be like if somebody ran a marathon, I'm like, oh, they got to take six months off. Take or the whatever. time off. Yeah. And I said, okay. So I started looking into it and I said, you know what? I can do this. I said, I'll give it a try. All right. So I started looking into it, and I said, let me go out here and let me run two miles every day. It, it, that's what I'm used to. Yeah. It was okay because a PT test for the military at that time, I guess everything's still the same, was a two-mile run. Yep, two miles. So you would just knock out your two-mile run. Um, and I just finished up reserves, too, but you knock out your two-mile run, you were done. That was it. Push-up, sit-ups, two-mile run, done. Simple enough. But what was happening was I was putting a ceiling. I was putting a cap on my workouts. Mm. Because when you do something for so long, as I say, routine and habit starts to merge together. You do something so long, push up, sit ups, two mile run. And that's what I was limiting myself to doing. And your body adapted to it. it so it wasn't getting any better. I'm not going to hit any weights, not going to do different things like that. So I started running. I started running a little bit more. Um, and I was like, you know, I can do more than that. I can do more than that. Next thing you know, I said, David Goggins. Start looking in. I'm like, who's this guy? Yeah. You know what I mean? And it really started hitting the light mm-hmm. where I started listening to him. And the stuff that he was saying, it was almost like he was talking to me, Yep. you know, and, and, and I can speak like that for other people, too. It might be the same thing. His mentality, some of the struggles that he went through, some of the things that he went through. You know, I went through struggles with, you know, financial struggles with early on. You know, young parents say, hey, don't mess your credit up. It's fixed now. But yeah. that was some of the things <laughs> right. that you, you mess up, uh, you know, family struggles, family members dying, different things like that. And, and one of the times he said, you need to callous his mind. He need to callous his mind through the tough times. And that's what I had to do. Um Later on, ended up meeting David Goggins. No way, really. Sat down, you know, talked to David Goggins. He was doing a, um, an event over in Pennsylvania. And, you know, me and a couple of good friends of mine, we went and traveled to him and actually sat there and spoke with him for uh, quite some time. Um, but listening to his story made me want to do more, more than two miles, more than three miles, more than five miles. And that's when I started really starting to hammer down things like marathons. So like you said, I would go out and I would just one day say, you know what? I'm going to go out and run 12. Mm-hmm. So I start running 12 miles and I'm like, let's do 12 more. Yeah, why not? Why not? You know what I mean? I'm already 12 miles out. So I had to start tricking my mind. Okay, if I go 12 out, I got to get back. Dude, I did literally the same thing. I would always do that. Just if I run 10 that way, well, I got to come back. Got to come back. And that's when I started teaching myself and others sometimes the loop factor isn't the best factor unless you already have a mentality of what you have to do but if you do it out on the back factor if i go out 12 i gotta come back 12 yeah and the only other way to get back is to pick up the phone and call somebody Mm. that comes back to what we talked about earlier which was quitting you don't quit right you don't have a never quit mentality you have a never quit mentality you don't quit Mm -hmm. i guess i got to do 12 back crawl walk or run i'm gonna get it done yeah. before you know it you did 24 
Not 26, not a full marathon. You did 24. So I did that. Legs would just be real sore. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm like, man, maybe this is that thing that they were talking about six months off. Yeah, I'm right. like, something's not right. right. <laughs> you know? So I started challenging myself to do it more. I said, maybe I can do another marathon in a couple of days. Laced up the shoes, went out and did another marathon. Mm. You know, just knocked it out. And these are some of the things like what you talked about earlier. It's not boasting. It's not cocky. It's confident. And you don't share with the world. You just do what you do. Right. So you're doing what you do to make yourself happy. You're doing more today than you did the day before. And that's what I was saying to myself. Maybe I can do a little bit more. There was no social media at this time. There was Mm -hmm. nothing. I said, maybe I can do this. Went out there, did another marathon. A few days after that. Did another marathon. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then it was just like, okay, I can do this. But then work schedule starts coming in. Yeah, of course. Things like that. And it knocks you right back down. Mm-hmm. If you don't stay with it or the consistency with it, it's going to take you out that loop. So then I started challenging myself. Can I do a half marathon every day for a week? What would happen to my body? I wanted to start doing different things to challenge myself, but slight experiments also so that I can explain what my body goes through for other people that are also trying it. Absolutely. Because what good is it that we keep doing all of this and we don't tell anybody? I want to tell the world. So half marathon every day for seven days, feeling fantastic afterwards. Because somebody told me once, you need several days of recovery. So how are these elite athletes out here doing something if they need several days of recovery? And you know what everybody says? Not to cut yeah, you yeah, off, no, but you know what everybody says? What is, what uh, is they're, they're different. Different. No, they're not. They're a no. human being. They're human being, right? Absolutely. Human being. They got lives just like we got lives. They mm-hmm. go to work just like we go to work. You can't say, well, an NFL player, you know, that's his job. Uh, he's a gladiator on a field. Mm-hmm. And he's taking a lot of punishment with, with, with his body. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it doesn't matter what you do in that era or what you're doing. You're putting yourself through it. So you can go out. You can work 10 hours, 12 hours, 13 hours. And when you come home tired and you still go to the gym. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know, you brought up something about experimentation. And this is this is why I love doing the podcast because you and I are, are a lot more similar than I thought we would be, but mm-hmm. the experimentation thing, I've done that for a long time. Absolutely. So recently, Crazy. you and I have talked about it. I got back into jujitsu, been doing it for about three months. Painful. Painful. Like my body hurt, but it's getting better. I don't hurt as much. Mm-mm. So now I understand that. So these last couple of weeks, I'm like, all right, what happens if I go to jujitsu in the morning and then get a workout in at night? Let's see what mm-hmm. happens. Painful. There it's it painful. But you know two what? Days. Like two days, but it's going to be fine because I've done this before. I just know my body has to adapt to it and discover it's going to figure it out and see what's going on. Adapt, adaptation and overcoming. Mm-hmm. It's simple. I think people are afraid of that though. They're afraid of the pain in the beginning because it is, it's very uncomfortable. It's painful. It doesn't feel good. Oh, oh it's, it's awful. It's, it's, it's horrible. You think, you think if I don't do this, if I don't stop doing this, I'm going to die. Yep. Or if I don't stop doing this, you're right. When I kick my legs off to the side of the bed in the morning and I, and I hold my lower back, I'm like, oh, man, guess what? That's just the pain in my body saying, yeah. it's time to get up. Mm-hmm. It's time to get after it. Yeah. And, and you know, to come back to your question, Gene, you said getting into the triathlons. So I was only talking about running. That was it because mm-hmm. that's all I knew. I didn't even, and this is going to sound crazy, I didn't even know that people <laughs> – 
It's going to sound crazy when I say this. I did not even know that people were actually out here swimming, biking, and running. Right, right. When I was in the military, you were on a base. You were on your own city. Mm-hmm. It wasn't nobody swimming, biking, running from what I've seen at that yeah, point in time. Right. You know, uh, police world got out there. I didn't see bikes on the bike rack. I see, Hey, I seen police bikes on the bike rack. Yeah, right. But I didn't see road bikes and triathlon bikes on the bike rack because people were swimming, biking, and running. Mm-hmm. You know? So so I started, as I say, after listening to David Goggins and then looking at certain things, I was like, how hard is that? What did we talk about? The challenge. Mm-hmm. I've always been a competitive person. Yeah. I said, how hard is that? I can swim. I know how to bike. And I know how to run. So let's do it. So, you know, I turned around. I got on Craigslist. And, you know, I typed in road bike, triathlon bike. And I seen this futuristic looking bike and I was like, wow, I said, I, I said, I guess that's how it's going to start. Mm-hmm. So needless to say, bought the bike off this guy down south and um, he said, hey, be careful with the bike. He said, because you have what's called clip in pedals. I said, mm. clip in pedals. <laughs> I said, listen, I've been riding a bike for I don't know how long. I, I'm not worried about no clip on pedals. Yeah, I, I can. Uh, I'll figure it out. And he said, do you want me to show you? Nope. Now nah, I'm good. Load it up. Let's go. So I get home, put my feet in these bike shoes. I clip into the pedals. Perfect. I'm good. I start riding. Not a problem. There's an actual video on my Instagram page that I have at the bottom of the page where I'm riding into the garage and I'm slowing down because I'm like, okay, there's the wall. Let me slow down some. And now let me put my foot on the ground. All I can remember is the guy saying, you need to be careful with clip-in pedals. Yeah. I did not know how to take my foot out the pedal. Yep. Wham! I'm on the ground. Still attached to the bike, probably. Still attached <laughs> to the bike, trying to figure out how the heck to get my my foot out of the pedal. Yeah. Um, but it comes back into, remember earlier in the discussion, me and you said, you can get through something, but you didn't want to ask the questions. Right. Right. And, and, and you're going to see where I'm going with this. Gene. Mm-hmm. When you have communication and effective speaking, it all comes back to wherever you started. In the beginning of this conversation, we talked about asking questions. Yep. Later on in life, I had somebody selling me a bike and they said, do you have any questions? Do you want me to show it? And I said, no. But you did. But I did. Mm-hmm. I did have questions. I said, you know what? I'll figure it out. So. I learned the hard way. You figured it out. I figured right. it out. You know, and then after that, I was like, oh, man. I said, as much as this bike costs, I said, I hope the bike's all right. It wasn't yeah. even worried about me being all right. Yep. So let's fast forward. I said, hey, I got the bike. I know how to swim, and I know how to run. I said, so let's sign up for a triathlon. Put it all together. Let's just put it all together. And believe it or not, not too far. It, it seems familiar um, over here, Lums Pond. Oh, yeah. As do, does They do a The uh, Bear Triathlon, triathlon right? Yeah, they just yeah. had one. Yep. It was just then, not yep. that long ago. So this one was called Try It Triathlon. So I go out there, and I'm looking at all these futuristic bikes, ten, fifteen thousand $15,000 bikes. Oh, yeah. Uh, people got special kits on. Helmets are looking sleek. And I'm just like. Oh, for probably a sprint triathlon. Yes, yes, right? <laughs> so I show up. Um, my helmet was from Walmart. Um, I think it cost. I think the next upgraded one was about fourteen ninety nine. I didn't want to pay the money, so I got one for nine ninety nine. Right. I said this will work. Um, I got some gloves. I think I borrowed somebody's gloves, and I seen that everybody had triathlon suits on. 
I just had regular bike uh, shorts on. Um, I said, okay, well, let's go swim. We start swimming. I mean, I'm literally getting hit, kicked, everything in the water. I was not ready for that. Mm -hmm. You know, I I had no idea. I'm sitting there trying to look in the water. You can't see in the water. Nope. No idea. I was swimming one way. Um, One of the safety guys on a, a kayak said, are you okay, sir? I said, I'm fine. Why are you asking me that? He said, because you're swimming the wrong way. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, well, I didn't know about sighting in and looking for the buoy that's ahead of you. I got out of the water, and as I'm running, Gene, it's like I was wearing a diaper. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, what is wrong with my – because I got regular bike shorts on. Mm-hmm. The pad is just not – it's just absorb all the water. Yep. Um, I get on the bike. I, I, I mean, it was just recipe for disaster. Yeah. But what did it do? It made me say, I can do more. I can be better than this. Mm-hmm. Now I did this. Now I learn. Now I need to research. And now I need to ask questions yep. and understand how I can do more. Yeah. Hence, which brings us to half marathons. I mean, half Ironmans, mm-hmm. full Ironmans. I mean, we just did a half Ironman last year in less than 30 days, did a full Ironman right after it. Mm-hmm. You know, you go from a 1.2 mile swim to a 2.4 mile swim, you right. go to a 56 mile bike to a 112 mile bike. You go from a 13.1 mile run to a 26.2 mile run. It wasn't a fast time. I think I might've been on my feet for about 19 hours. Mm-hmm. Now, ideally, the time would be faster when you're on an actual dedicated course sure. because we had to go from different locations. But that's 19 hours in the heat. It might have been about 93 degrees, 94 yeah. degrees that day. And it's you against you. Quitting is not an option. Nobody's going to nobody's gonna be upset if you No, nah, nobody home. cares. Nobody cares. There's nobody else out there doing it with you. I mean, yeah. we had bikers and runners and sure. stuff like that. But the full thing, nobody else is doing it with you. Mm-mm. So if you were to wave the white flag and say, hey, I'm done, that's fine. They'd be like, Go okay. Home. They'd be like, man, hey, I, if I was you, somebody would have said, if I were you, I'd have stopped a long time ago. Yeah. You know what I mean? But that is called negotiating with your mind and your body. Mm-hmm. Quitting's not an option. Yeah. mentality is not an option we finished that we knocked it out and no sooner or later than that two weeks later we were doing a hundred mile ride at the amish country bike tour so you said it those guys are special is what somebody might have said no those guys are just like you and i those ladies are just like you and i if they can do it i can do it and it's up to you if you want to do it at the same level or if you want to do it to the next level and I think the thing to understand is those people probably have quit at some point in time in their lives, oh, yeah. and it felt so awful. Yeah. And then they're like, I will never feel that way I'll ever again. again. And then they started not quitting, mm-hmm. and they saw the new levels and heights that they have reached in their lives. Oh, yeah. And let me ask you this. Okay. When you're going through life, right, you're a super inspirational guy. Uh, what do you do with people who you inspire? They're like, yeah, man, let's do this. And they start going running, and then they fall off the wagon. And then they come back to you for more advice, and it's like, oh, we well, just got to put the work in. And then they do it again, and then they fall off the wagon. Yep. It's just there's people out there who chronically can never get over that hump, oh, right? Yeah. So, like, at oh, what yeah. point? Because I, I, me personally, I get very frustrated because yes. I'm like, man, if you just knew how I felt, you wouldn't even question this. You would just go do it. So I guess my question is, like, what do you do with people who just don't can't get over that hump? So when somebody can't get over the hump, I mean, I've worked out with numerous people, trained numerous people, you know, I tell them this thing right here, Gene, that there's power and consistency. 
at first they don't understand it because they quit, come back a couple weeks later and say, I'm back. And then they quit. They come back and they say, I had to stop because it was Thanksgiving. But after the holiday, I'm back. But there's one person who never left. They're coming back to you for a reason. Mm -hmm. Because you got the consistency. You have the power and consistency to keep doing it over and over and over again. So it's okay that they come back because they're going to see the same person still on their grind. And eventually, one day, they're going to say, I'm not going to stop. I used to be a person where it's like, hey, man, if you stop, don't even come back to me. Yeah, you're, right. You're slowing me down. Now I got to change my plans to work out with you to get you back where you need to be. So that's why a lot of my training is alone. Yeah. But I have no problem going back and helping somebody because I once told you a story of a young man who was in the army who got dropped from special forces because I wasn't going back to help anybody. Mm -hmm. And that won't happen ever again. But I always tell somebody, it is harder to restart every time you stop. It is. But if you keep going, you're going to find that this is easy. It's momentum. Once you get momentum going, it's Nothing easy. Nothing can stop you. Mm -hmm. Nothing can stop you. So as long as you have the power to keep doing something, as long as you have the power to lift weights, you got the strength to lift them. As long as you have the power in your body to keep waking up every single day to get after it, you're going to get the consistency. You put that together, you got power and consistency. Now you got the power to keep doing something consistently over and over and over again until you say stop. Right. And at that point in time, like you say, you got the momentum. There's no stopping you. And what happens is when somebody else sees you doing it, they might have a family member that's like, I don't know what you're doing over there, but I need to do it too. Yeah. I need to do it too. Hey, if some, if you want to have a cheat day today, uh, like a cheat day, that's on you. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's okay. But be prepared to put in the work. Yeah. Be prepared to get after it. So anybody that comes back to me, I mean, they can come back to me 10 times. They can come back to me 10 times over the course of a whole year. That would be 10 months. Every single month in the first of the month, they say, I'm back. I'm back. This is my year. <laughs> All right. New Year's come. They say, my New Year's resolution is I'm back. You know what I mean? If I can be back every single time that way, yeah. I'd be the man. I'd be a millionaire. But the reality is I love it because – it shows that I'm inspiring them to come back. They're not defeated. Something internal is defeating them, but they're not defeated. You ready? For asking questions. Mm. We mentioned it earlier. Yeah. Ask questions. Hey, I don't know why I keep stopping. Okay, well, maybe issue your mentality on why you keep stopping. Maybe it's something that's not allowing you to wake up in the morning to get out and get after it. Maybe they got something going on. Maybe they got to work. And maybe we can work around that to figure out something else that works for them. By all means, I'm no trainer. Yeah. You know, I'm no, you know, SME subject matter expert on, you know, certain things. I'm just a guy that just decided to get up and get after it. And I can tell you what works for me. But if they never ask the question, like we mentioned earlier, they'll never know. And they're going to keep going on in life. Yep. Until one time they're not going to be able to restart. Yep. There's one of the things that I always say besides power and consistency is every day we wake up, we're already winning. You know, we had a tough year. My family had a tough year. We lost, you know, my uncle. We, we lost my grandfather. You know, years before that, we lost a cousin. We lost my aunt who was married to the uncle that died. I mean, it's wow. just like, you, yeah, know, a lot. you get hit with a lot. Um, I don't talk about it. reason that I don't talk about it is because I still got to do what I have to do. You know, life still has to go on for me. And that's why I say every day we wake up, we already winning. 
But the moment you stop is the moment that somebody else is going to catch you. The moment that you stop is the moment that your motivation and your drive has just been derailed. Yeah. Good luck trying to put that train back on the track. So as I say, if I still can answer those questions, if they still can come back and I can just try to help them out, if we can save one person with their physical fitness goals, let's keep going. Yeah. Let's and I would, going. I would, it's a safe bet. I'm sure that a lot of people probably say they don't have the time to do it. Right. So time management is something that wow, I think you man. have mastered over the years. What is your time management strategy when it comes to your family and all that? Okay. So time management is, is key. And I'm glad you actually mentioned that. So we know through growing up, time management is everything. There's a schedule for everything, you know, and even as I sit here with you today, I see the handbook, man, and I'm just, let me tell you, that's that's some exciting stuff because as long as you got the handbook, that's that's the holy grail. That's the gridiron. That's everything you need right there. Without that, you're like, where's my book? Yep. You know where your stuff is at, you know. Um, comes back to that time management. If you know you got to wake up at I'm giving easy numbers, seven o'clock to go to work. Maybe you need to get up at five to get your workout on, to get your mind right in preparation for work so that you can go ahead and go through the day. My time management will go like this. Typical day for me is 4, 4 a.m. to 4.15 a.m. is going to be my wake up. That's going to be the wake up. Why? Because everybody else is asleep. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, everybody's sleep. The sun's not even up. And that way I can get out and get after it. Whether I go run, whether I go bike, whether I go to the gym, whatever I'm going to do, I can do in that time because that time is my time. Yep. It wasn't always like that. There was times where I would go do everything on family's time. That's not fair. That's the first thing that you have to think about with time management, guys, is like we said, your family time. If you're doing it on their time, it's not going to work. You're making the decision to get out here and get after it. You're making the decision to put hours into the gym or workouts. You're making the decision to go to the, you know, uh, wherever you're going to work out in competitions and events. So if it's on their time, it's not going to work out unless you incorporate them with it. So for my time management with family, for example, my daughter, you know, I had just started getting her on a bike so that when I'm going out for long runs, she can come too. Mm. put her on a scooter. She can come too. Yeah. You know what I mean? If I'm going to go, if I'm going to go to the gym or something like that, let's go ahead and take her. I mean, pandemic changed a lot of things, but we're going to fix that. But that comes back to time management, how you can incorporate that because it's easy to go to the gym with a friend or a workout buddy. Sure. Because they got the same time management as you. Y'all got the same drive. But there's people around you who want to be driven too. So if you start with them, start internally with your family, you can work out so much better at the end of it. And then during the course of the day, I go to work. I come home, try to get that workout in before, you know, everybody goes to sleep so that I can still have that family time. Um, When does that change? If it's going to be a Sunday or a Saturday, it's going to be a longer day because that's a longer training day for right. me. Ideally, a training day, um, I just want to back it up to the schedule real quick. Um, so I'll wake up about 4, 4.15 every single morning. Um, and then before you know it, uh, by 6.30, um, I'm already, you know, full gauged with work, fully engaged, rocking and rolling. By 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, you know, and what I do at work, um, you know, I, I'm physically active as well. You know, where I might go on a run, but I don't count that run as my run. Wow. So when I get done working out, you know, at my job, I'm going to go home, make sure the family's straight, 
and then I need to do what I need to do. Mm-hmm. Because that's the only way that's going to prepare me in preparation for this event that we got on June 13th, which is 1.2 miles on the swim, 56 miles on the bike, and then 13.1 miles on the run. So my weekends will be longer days. Right. My typical training day on a weekend might be anywhere from five to six hours mm-hmm. just for a training day. Yeah. So how do we do, like we say, time management? If I'm getting up at four o'clock, not getting off till around four o'clock, that's 12 hours right there. Well, there's 24 hours in a day. Um, most of the time at that point in time, I'm only eating two meals. I'm only eating at 12 o'clock because I do intermittent fasting. I'm only eating around 12 o'clock or a little bit sooner than that. And then I'm not eating again until right before eight o'clock. But on those longer days, when I have them long training days at a minimum of five hours, it has to be an early start. It has to be an early start because I cannot affect everybody else's life with what I'm doing. Because I want to say this one thing. We mentioned it earlier. Nobody cares. At the end of the day, when you are doing something, what's important to you may not be important to others. You can't get mad because I can tell you, Gene, man, I can't wait to go out here and run 26 miles today. And you're like, good luck with that. Right. Because it's not important to you. If you're not the one doing it, it's not important to you. I'm going to go out here and I'm going to go bike 50 miles. Good luck with that. It's not important to you. Mm -hmm. I'm choosing to put myself through this. So therefore, I need the time management to make sure that I'm putting myself through this. Mm -hmm. Okay? We just recently did a 50-mile run. All day long, 50-mile run, starting in Newcastle County, going all the way to Kent County. Here we go. You know, I'm putting myself through this. So I can't get mad if I don't have a lot of people joining me. I can't get mad if, you know, a lot of people don't really believe in what I'm doing. I'm not doing this for them. I'm doing this for me. I'm doing this because I choose to do this. And so that's why I say what's important to you may not be important to others. So how do you fix that? How do you get over the obstacle of the balance of time management is you have to do things that no one else wants to do, which means waking up at four o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. Maybe some people wake up at three o'clock in the morning and, you know, going for a run at 11 o'clock at night. You know, you just have to figure out what what works for you. Today, I got a run in right before I got here. Um, it was five miles. It wasn't the 10 or 15 that I wanted, but it was five. Yeah. But it had to happen because time management's not going to allow me later to do 10 miles. It's just not. So my time management is, let's break it up. Let me just hurry up, knock out five. Because when this is done, I'm going to lace them up and I'm going to get out and get after it. Plan for a minimum of five. If I go for 10, great. Yeah. Because the five is already done, and I did that before. Mm-hmm. So we got, you know, that's a big thing with time management. Yeah, you just spoke directly to me in the sense of when I first got promoted to sergeant, mm-hmm. uh, real big on the team thing. And, and fitness has just been such a big part of my life that I want to bring other people in. So we started doing these little group workouts, like among the squad. We get like two or three people showing up, but we put it out to the whole squad. Whole squad. Right, there's mm-hmm. 45 of us on the squad. You only get two, and I would get frustrated. Like, mm-hmm. yo, what's wrong with you guys, man? Like, why are you doing this? Come on out here. It was important to me, there right? But you just spoke to, literally, I felt like you were speaking to me because you know, they got other stuff going on. But eventually, what did start happening, you started getting 10, 12, 15 people. Mm-hmm. Now we got guys going to uh, jujitsu on Wednesdays and stuff like that. But I was getting frustrated because I wanted them to value it as much as me. And exactly. that was the wrong that was the wrong way to go about it. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. And as I say, I was the same way. Let me tell you, hot weather, 
I always go out to this lake in Smyrna. It's called Lake Como. It's always me going out to the lake in Lake Como. There's yeah. nobody else out there in the lake at Lake Como. So how do I get safety going on? I have a buoy that floats with me. Yep. That's that's my swim buoy, and I swim. But when you think about it, is it dangerous? Yes. But what's important to me is not important to others. Mm-hmm. Because here's the thing, Gene. We've been talking about doing this half Ironman for a whole year. So now that we've been talking about it, we need to show up and be ready to rock and roll, which means I still got to do whatever I have to do to prepare for it. So what's empowering me is that time management, because as long as I'm still making the time management with my family, I know that there's my team. So even though I'm going through it, and you did hear me say quite a few times this time, I, even though I might be out there swimming alone, my time management has allowed for my family to be a part of it because they know, okay, he's getting ready to be done. Let's make sure the food is done. Let's make sure this is done. Let's make sure everything is done because when we go to that event, they're going to be there ready to rock and roll. They're going to see why all the hard work goes in. And that's why you always hear sometimes during interviews, people say, man, you know, uh, I love my family. Um, I wouldn't be here without my family, yeah. right? Yep. And you always say, well, was there anybody else that was there? Well, they always train alone. Was there anybody else? No. Nope. Because the reality is it's not the simple fact of your family technically training with you. They are there. So if you exclude them by not having proper time management, you will be the only one going through the finish yep. line. You will be the one dreading to yourself like, man, should I quit? Yup, you can do whatever you want because there's not going to be anybody. Yeah. Put that time management in there. Make sure it's working out. You'll have the family there. And guess what? With your family, the power and consistency, and having the mentality that every day you wake up, you already winning. That's a recipe for success. How does all this power and consistency, leadership, how does it all work into the stuff you're doing with the PAL? Oh, man. The PAL, the Police Athletic League, let me tell you. You know, we had a PAL when I was younger, and it works the power and consistency and leadership works with pal because with my current position that's what i do i work with the kids mm-hmm. i work with the kids and i'm showing the kids motivational videos because nobody showed me motivational videos when i was younger i'm showing the kids how to be leaders running groups so if i have 15 kids i'm going to put one kid in charge of those 15 kids for that day and then the next day it's going to be another kid and the next day and the next day and the next day by day 15 Each one of the kids have already been through being a leader. Right. So the task at hand wasn't to see who was the best leader. I'm not worried about that. The task at hand was to make sure that everybody had an opportunity to be a leader. Mm -hmm. And then they are going to find within themselves, you know, I can do this leadership stuff. I think this leader thing is pretty cool. I think I can do it Mm -hmm. because on that 16th day, now I can decide who's the leader's. It doesn't mean anybody else isn't a leader, but we can see how that person would be because some people would rather show up, come to work, do their job. Absolutely. Nothing's wrong with that at all. Some people would say, you know what? I wouldn't mind supervising. Yeah. Absolutely. No problem. But I do that with the kids. Everything that we do as an adult, I scale it down to a child level and give to them. So if we're going to go out for a run, we're going to run, but there's task and purpose of why they're running. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause at the end of it, I want them to be able to enter a 5k so they can see everything come together. Yeah. Um, working with the pal, 
we're also encompassing and incorporating different programs for them. Okay, so we're going to have the basketball programs. We're going to have the football programs. We're going to set up a drone class so that they can see drones. Because if I can give them any and everything that they've never seen before, never touched before, things like that, we might have the next genius. We might have the next NFL player, NBA player. We might have the next president. But let's get them there with our capabilities. So then we look at education. If I'm teaching the kids in school and I'm teaching them, hey, you need your education. Get out here. Get after it. Make sure you're getting good grades. But then I don't have no education to back it. Mm. How am I practicing what I'm preaching? That's a great point. Okay. And I, I, I said this to myself, Gene. I said, you know what? I got to make sure my education is straight. I can't tell them to go to school and then I'm not going to school. Yeah. Fast forward. Here soon. Matter of weeks. I'll be starting my doctorate degree. Outstanding. Never thought in a million years. I just figured, you know what? Those same kids that I'm motivating, guess what? Motivated me because mm-hmm. I'm telling them, get out and get after it. You know, have your education. You can go to school. You can do this. And I had a kid one day. They said, so are you in college? And I'm looking like, um, nope, nope. I'm here. <laughs> I'm, I'm the PAL coordinator, you know. And it's just like, uh, next Guess, please. Yeah, touche, kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? The kid is like, um, next speaker, we're good. Because maybe they don't want to play basketball and football, but maybe Mm -hmm. they love education. Yeah. So you need to be able to hit all aspects of this. Mm -hmm. I need to be able to say, hey, you might not like basketball, football, and chess, but you love the books. I love them too. Okay, so I'm going to go get the associates, the bachelors, the masters, and then here soon the doctorate. Never cocky, always confident. You love the sports? No problem. I love them too. Well, you know, my feet hurt when I run. Well, let's take a look at your shoes. Maybe we need to do stuff there. If I can help at a child level, why not? We implemented a bike program, for example. We get so busy at times as adults that even with our own kids, we might not have enough time to teach them how to ride a bike. Mm. And what I was finding was there was kids who just didn't learn how to ride a bike. So guess what? We took the time and we started teaching kids how to ride bikes. And once they started learning how to ride bikes, we had to take the time to try to catch them from slowing down, you know, because they were off to the races. But what I'm trying to say is you're showing them different things. You are showing them different things, different aspects. And that's how the leadership component comes into play with the PAL, the Police Athletic League. We're teaching them through educational and recreational programs so that they can be leaders. How does the power and consistency come into play? Because they still have a schedule, just like we say, regular routine and time management. They have a schedule. They're going to school from this time to this time. They have a police athletic league program from this time to this time. Mm-hmm. And the next thing you know, they're going home from this time to this time. And guess what? 24 hours is, is done. The next day, do it all over again. Yeah. So we're putting them in a routine now. And if we can make a positive impact now, by the time that they're our age, you know, they're sitting down at a podcast, mm-hmm. you know, they had the creative mind to say, I can create a podcast. Why? Because I heard one before. I've seen it before. And you like this one, Gene. I even called the handbook and I asked questions mm-hmm. of how I can do it. It's the ones that don't ask no questions. We talked about it in the beginning. Just ask the questions because you might have the next next podcast star yeah that's in fifth grade 
you know, we might have the next ultra marathoner. Absolutely. They just it, need a little spark. They need a spark and they need to know the science and the education behind it. Right, wrong or indifferent, no matter what information they get, they can tweak it how they want and they might you know, have their dreams and aspirations to go for. Yeah. You hit it on a common theme that's come up, you know, it's asking questions. It's so true, man. And you know why people don't, I think, cause it's uncomfortable. Mm. And I can even speak to this personally, a lot of things in my life. And especially when I got promoted to Sergeant, I don't know all the answers. Yeah. Now I'm out on the road. I'm in charge of 10 other officers out here and they call me, uh, and they ask me something. I don't know the answer to it. Mm-hmm. It's one of two options. Actually, it's three options. Uh, you can just bullshit them. Yeah. You know what I mean? You yeah. don't really know the answer. Tell them, figure it out. You could do that. That's an option. Uh, option two is really just say, you know what, man? I really don't know, but I'll find out for you. Stand by. Boom. And then you call them back five minutes later. They got it. But it's having that confidence to be like, you know what? I don't know the answer to this. I'm going to go ask somebody else a question, and I'll figure it out. You figure it out. But I'll tell you what. The first option, I do do that from time to time. Yeah. But, you know, I don't know, man. But actually, I don't tell them I don't know. What do you think? What do you think? I do do that. <laughs> but see, here's the thing. Like what we talked about even with the kids, how I might turn around and make them all leaders. Mm-hmm. They say, you know what? That is a good response. I need to figure it out. Yeah. Let me figure it out first. Okay. I didn't know how to clip into the pedals. Well, I figured it out when I fell and busted my behind. Yeah. You know how many stop signs I came up to and fell in front of people? Right. And then you look. <laughs> but eventually you're just like, okay, you're going to learn it. You know, this triathlon that's getting ready to come up, uh, this half Ironman. I've done half Ironmans. I've practiced doing half Ironman. Just wake up and practice a half Ironman. Just yeah. wake up one morning because I got enough time and I just go do a 1.2 mile swim and a 56 mile bike and, you know, 13.1 mile run. There's my half marathon, my half triathlon, you know, the Ironman. Uh, there's no medal. There's no Man. finish line. Yeah. But you, you just did it. But going into this, I have no idea what to expect. Mm-hmm. The only way that I'm going to find out is by asking questions. And that's how I've learned a lot of stuff Um, because now I'm to the point where people ask me, how do you do it? And I don't want to sound like some guy who just has it all figured it out because it wasn't like that. It wasn't like that. We had the trials and tribulations falling off of a bike and, you know, nutrition wasn't right. Next thing you know, feeling like I'm getting ready to pass out or fall asleep and you're just wondering why. Why is this like this until you start finding out, you know, um, and you inspire others by by what you do. And, and that's why, like I said, even when I think of the handbook, you know, being here at this podcast today, you know, through the communication you and I had, it is an amazing feeling to be sitting here with you across from this table because I believe in what you believe in. You know, when, when you talk about, you know, the leadership and in life, why are we doing this? This is life. This is life. And if we can get somebody to listen to our stories, if we can get somebody that wants to do more today than they did the day before, we're winning. Absolutely. We're winning. Yeah, you kind of nailed it. And that's one of the reasons I started this was I also went to go get my PhD. I'm writing my dissertation right now. Nice. And I started to come across all this information, right? Mm -hmm. My reach is only so far, right? I had all this information. Sure, the people on our squad and people that I'm friends with, I can give information out to them. But I was like, how can I really branch out? And I was like, oh, let me start a podcast. And also, and I am a big fan of doing things that cause me anxiety. Mm-hmm. So the thought of having a podcast and speaking and having everybody listen Absolutely. just gave, was terrifying. Yes. yes. Uh, I'm starting to get better at it as far as like the nerves and stuff. But now this thing has 1,200, 1,500 listeners 
I don't even know that many people. You know what I mean? Exactly. But what that tells me is message is getting out. It, message people, is received. Yeah. Message absolutely. is received. And and you know, just like what I what I live off of, you know, power and consistency. Your power and consistency of doing this has been phenomenal. And, you know, I, I've adapted that just like I say in my own life. I can keep doing something, remain confident at it, because that consistency is what's going to also empower people to listen. It's going to empower people to say that he's not fly by night. He's not here today and going tomorrow. Right. He running again. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, it's just Smitty. He's just, yeah. it's just Ranger Smitty. He just he's just running again. Because you know what? If I'm not running anymore, I'm going to be walking. It's going to be a walkathon. It's always going to be something. If I'm not that, I'm going to be crawling. It's always going to be something. Because that's my mindset. My mm-hmm. mindset is what can I do next? You know, we got a half Ironman coming up. We got a, you know, uh, um, Cambridge, Maryland. I'm already kind of thinking past June 13th because that's just that. What's next? Right. You know, what's next? Let's get out and get after it. Because what's the other option? So the other option is you're always going to have like sprint triathlons that are around. Yeah. You know, like you just mentioned at the Bear Sprint Triathlon just uh, was it was a few weeks ago. The other option is more training. Mm. That's the other option. Because some people, they'll do this Ironman and hang up the shoes. Yeah. You know, they'll hang it up and they'll say, hey, that's it. You know, I, I can pull away from the, the triathlon because one thing I will say is with doing a triathlon back to time management, when you have a five to eight hour day of training, you know, it can be a lot. Yep. It can be a lot. But I will say that my next option is we still got a hundred mile run that we're training for. We knocked out a 50. Need more. So yeah. why not do a hundred? You know, and it's just, it just so happened that during my hundred mile journey, I had a race deferred for this year from last year. Okay. So even though I did those races on my own last year, there's yeah. still money in the pot. Mm hmm. We can't let it go to right. We can't let it go to waste. We still need to do the event. So outside of that, the other option is we need to get to the next one, which is a hundred mile run. We got a lot of miles that we got to put on these feet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, speaking of the feet, you get so many injuries from it. You don't really talk about it, but you keep pushing. But there's a lot of injuries that I've seen from it as well. Yeah. You know, um, but that's going to be the next thing. A hundred mile run is coming. It is coming. So listen, we've been talking for a little over an hour. When people listen to this, right? Okay. What do you want them to take away from it? When people listen to this, this is what I want them to take away from this. That every day you wake up, you're already winning. Don't think about the what ifs. Don't think about maybe or what if I did this today. Do it. Do it. Because tomorrow's not promised. And... If you could be the best today, be the best. If you're saying, man, I want to go out and run a mile, don't think about it. Do it. Do it. Don't sit there and look at your shoes because they're not going to lace themselves up. They're not going to put themselves on. Do more today than you did the day before. Do it. And that's why I say because nothing is promised tomorrow. We, we can't look back, Gene, and say, I should have done this. Just like you said with your podcast. You can't look back and say, man, I should have. I should have started that. Because somebody that is next to you will start it, and you're going to say, I should have did it. You know, 
I, I can't look back and say, man, I'm not going to run that marathon because somebody next to me is going to run the marathon. And I'm going to say, I should have did it. Oh, I'm not going to go too hard at work. You know, I'm just going to go ahead, clock in and clock out and go home. Well, you know what? Keep that mentality because that's going to be your mentality. You want to stay after and get your work done? Get it done. Somebody's watching. Somebody's watching. And do not let the pandemic slow you down. Still be safe. Still be effective at everything that you do. But do it. Still get out there and get after it. Last year, even with this going on, we still did a half Ironman. We still did a full Ironman. We still did a 100-mile run. We still got out and got after it, safe and effectively. But if you take anything away from me, anything, keep that power and consistency. Do it. So you can't look back and say, I should have did it. It's already done. So it's in front of you. So again, get out there. Get after it. Every day you wake up, you already winning. And always remember, there's power and consistency, brother. It's powerful. Let's end it there, man. Thanks for coming on, brother. Oh, yeah.